All right. Um, well, we are part three uh, of a series that uh, a little section in John 8, uh, 37 through 47. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. You would. And uh, we started this on Father's Day, and I didn't, as I mentioned to you a couple times, I didn't really put together the full t the irony of the title plus Father's Day until it was already in the bulletin. Uh, you are of your father, the devil. Same notes. Same notes. Yep, I do have three more here. If anybody, thank you, David. Uh, as we as he hands out the notes, I think this is probably we'll see how far we get today, but I think this is probably our last time here in this part of John 8 and then we'll move on um, in case you're wondering too um, dad is uh, going to return to to the pulpit here um, two more weeks right so we have today and then two more weeks after that of, of John and uh, mainly because of the Sunday school series that we've been uh, DVDs that we've been uh, Isaiah 53, which is excellent. Yeah, that's very, very good preparation in combination with what we're studying here at John 8, too, as well. And I'll probably, I'll probably make a passing note about that. Um, I kind of identify with what John said actually this morning in his in the lead up to his uh, introduction. There's a lot here. <laughs> There's a lot here, and I, I never feel like I like we fully explore the text. But that's the way scripture is, right? There's always, always more to learn, always more to be reminded of as well uh, that we forget so easily. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to speak to us from his word, uh, despite the inadequacies of the speaker and the hearers. Heavenly Father, this morning we're reminded again of how important it is that you build a house and that you speak to us from your word. I was thinking this morning about you know our reading and, and the response of reading centering around the concept of righteousness. And um, it's, you say, Lord Jesus, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. And I trust that that is our heart's desire this morning. Um, that's a desire that only you bring. As you told uh, Peter, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of John, because flesh and blood did not reveal that. That's a desire that doesn't come from us naturally. Um, we think it does. We, we, we end up, though, justifying ourselves and condemning others. But when we see our, our own shortcomings, and we see just how far we are from your just holy standard. Um, we recognize that there is nothing in us that can pay that debt. And we thank you, as we saw this morning from Isaiah 53 earlier in Sunday school, that that, that has been satisfied in the Lamb of God who took away the sin. And uh, we can stand here forgiven today, despite all the things, the years of running, the things that we have done and said that we knew were wrong and we did them and the many things that we didn't even pay attention to. All of that can be washed white in the blood of the Lamb. We thank you for that. And as we think about our nation today too, Father, we know that the glory of saving the world doesn't fall in the hands of one party or another. It's not going to be uh, in the university system. It's not going to be corporations that figure it out. Uh, or the governments of this world, but it's your glory, and you share it with no one except those who are in Christ. We thank you because this is all your work. Salvation is of you, and it's for your glory. And we want to give that praise to you today. We ask that you would open our eyes as we continue in this conversation that Jesus is having with the Jewish leaders, and as he points the finger very squarely at the problem and, and, and exposes the real man behind the curtain, so to speak, of their religious system. I pray that we would see in that ourselves possibly that maybe we are also deceived by that same deception and uh, turn away from that. Now is the time to know. 
So I pray you would open our eyes in the text as you see fit, speak to many hearts today, and not just here, but as we prayed earlier, throughout this land and around the world, as believers meet around your word. In Jesus' name. I said to you as we were starting two weeks ago, uh, this is part three, right, of our, of our look at this passage. I asked you this question, and I want to I ask again because I'm, I'm hoping, at least today, by God's grace, we'll, we'll wrap up this section. And we're going to hit this, this very pointed statement that Jesus makes to the Jewish leaders, that is, you are your father and devil. Wow. <laughs> wow. It just hit them like a ton of bricks. Right? Really, really slight. Anyway, so the, the question that I asked, and I want to close again, is if you could see into the spiritual realm, um, Satan and his forces, his top generals, uh, if you will, his special forces, you might say, his, his, uh, his focus and power, where would it be? Where would you expect to find the devil? A lot of times we think, well, maybe he's down at the local bars, or maybe he's at the strip joints, or uh, you know, in, in the rough side of town where the drug dealers are and that type of thing. But uh, that's not the way Scripture presents it. And this is one of the texts of Scripture that uh, begin that kind of uh, where Jesus does draw back the curtain a little bit, and we get to see who the man is behind the curtain of this religious system. And I submit to you, based on the authority of Scripture, we're going to look at some of those texts. There, point three in your outline, um, that that also seem to speak to this same truth. That's that uh, Satan and his forces are particularly engaged and active in the subtle deception of religion. Okay, even under a Christian banner. Okay, it was certainly true for the Jewish system that rejected its messiah right and they lost sight of them saw that again this morning uh, it's a very very good uh, setup for what we're looking at here um should have called john a warm-up back right? <laughs> no but it's, this scripture is you know both in the old testament and the new testament we see we see this continuity of this idea and and jesus is going to pull back the curtain you know just like uh, that that uh, the Wizard of Oz, right? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah, the devil likes that. That's exactly what he wants you to do. He doesn't want you to pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Um, all right, so um, we're right in the middle of this is this conversation that Jesus is having with these religious leaders in chapter eight starts with um, with verse twelve. All right, and and so as you study a text like this, it's, you know, it's way too much to just take in in one sitting. So we're breaking it up. But it, it, part of breaking it up is then we lose the continuity a little bit, right? And so that's what, that's what the write-up uh, up above there in the notes, and you can read that in your own time. But Jesus has already established with them the very opening statement in chapter, I'm sorry, in verse 12 is that I am the light of the world, okay? So he has come to reveal the truth of God. He's come to turn the light on, okay? And uh, as we like to say, not only is he turning the light on and it's, it's getting brighter as we have in this conversation, but the heat is also coming up as well, all right? And it really, really gets very hot in our, in our text here where he just flat tells them who is really behind their religious system. Okay. And I've told you many times, John reiterated this morning, something very, very important for us, very important in the Bible study, is that we understand that, that this is not written you know, just for Western culture and a 21st century mindset, right? It's hard, hard for us to get out of the way we think and, and look back 2,000 years with all of our, our biases and things that we know, okay? Um, so it's very important that we study that we put ourselves in the mindset of the author, but also the audience and, and the whole context there. And John said it so well this morning that the Jews were not looking for a Messiah who was going to come and suffer for the sins of his people. They thought that they were okay because they were descendants of Abraham, right? And that's what we've been seeing in this text. And Jesus is confronting that lie. He's telling them, 
No, in fact, you are marching in the opposite direction. Remember that they had insulted him in some of the verses earlier by saying, because he, he's kept telling them, he says, I am going away and you will seek me and you will not be able to come, right? You won't be able to come. And they, and they, when, they when that first happens in chapter seven, they're like, well, maybe he's going to go to the dispersion. Maybe he's going to go teach among the Gentile nations, right? You know, the Jews scattered around the Mediterranean. Then a little bit later, they've had some time to think about it, and they've come to the conclusion, no, in fact, he's going to commit suicide. He must be going to commit suicide because in their theology, to commit suicide meant you went straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200, right? You, you, you go there because clearly we are going to heaven. We're going to God, so he must be going to the other, only other option where we're not going, and so that's the conclusion. And they insulted him. It was very, very insulting, actually, in the, in the verses leading up to where we are, right? You may remember. So, in fact, Jesus is very, actually very politely. I mean, if, if, if somebody were insulting you like that, especially the Son of God, right? But he very graciously continues to turn the light up. And what he's actually saying is, no, actually, it's the other way around. If you don't believe that I am he, unless you believe that I am he, is verse 24, you will die in your sins. And you're not going where you think you're going. You think you're on your way to heaven. You think you're, the way that they would phrase, they wouldn't say heaven necessarily. They might say the kingdom of heaven. Um, but the kingdom of heaven, that's the way Matthew presents it, you know, in his account. Um, okay, other gospels, kingdom of God, Luke particularly uses that phrase a lot, right? Remember back in chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who is a very respected member of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, right? He says, unless you are born again, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus, it doesn't matter that you are a descendant of Abraham, that you are a member of this system that you are so convinced is of God and pleases God. You need a new lineage. Amen. You need a new heart. You need a new nature. And so Jesus has been talking with them about that, and he's he's turning the tables, all right? And, and our text picks up in verse 37, um, right? And it's right in the middle of what he's been saying. So let's start with 34 again. Uh, truly, truly, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Remember, these are the three truisms that we looked at. Truism number one, okay? In other words, a statement that everybody can agree on. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Now, again, he's not saying you commit a sin one time or occasionally. What he's saying is this is a habitual. The language here is a habitual sinning. Whoever continues, whoever sins and continues to sin is a better way of saying it, is a slave to it. It doesn't matter how much justification you make about that. And we do, man, I tell you. We are all have our PhD in excuses, right? Excuses. Well, I did this because my parents. I did this because he said that, right? Or, well, yeah, I'm, yeah, I make mistakes. But those people over there on the other side of the political aisle, are the ones that we really need to, right? It, whatever it is that we continue to excuse our sin, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Whatever you're obeying is your master. And if that's sin, you are a slave to sin. And so then statement number two, truism number two is found in 35. The slave uh, does not remain in the house forever the sun remains forever. And we talked about slavery, right? And, and again, not to belabor the point too much, but other than to say that slavery has been around a lot longer than the type of slavery we've had from our history. And we talked about that, that by and large, and it's not to excuse any, not just ours. I mean, ours was, was really, really radical problem with slavery where people were enslaved based on the on their national origin or, or their ethnicity. And by the way, it's just black people as well, some Chinese and others, Indians, um, 
had been enslaved. Um, but the African slave trade is the one we're familiar with. But throughout human history, it was effectively a credit system. Okay, lots and lots of abuses of it by no certain. Okay, but it, at its face value, somebody had debts they couldn't pay. Somebody had more than they could that they could owe. I mean, homelessness is not new, right? It's been around a long time. And if you were destitute uh, and somebody had more than they needed, it was a fair exchange. How about I pay your debts and you repay me with labor, right? That's effectively what slavery has been in its past, okay? And Jesus picks up on that in this truism here. So when he says that a, a slave, the relationship that a slave has to the house is very different than that that, uh, that a son has, that's what he's saying. And it's summarized on your notes by that statement that the slave owes the house, but the son owns the house, right? Think about the difference when you own something versus when you're just renting, right? Okay, very different, very different. All right, then verse 36, so if the son sets you free, what? It's legit. You'll be free indeed. Why? If another slave says, hey, your debt's forgiven. Well, that's a nice thought. But is right? He doesn't have the authority to do that, right? But if the son and the heir of the house who owns the house, by the way, who also owns the debt that you owe, okay, if they say, you know what, we're going to write that debt off, or better yet, I'm going to pay it off on your behalf, then you are free. And we talked about that, you know, and this is a great time because it's July 4th, right? Um, we talk about freedom in this country, but freedom is not the freedom. True freedom is not the right to do what I want, but to do what is right. To do what is right. That's what freedom really is. Stop and think about that sometime and unpack that in, in your own time, okay? So if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Free, free from what? Free from the debt that we owe to the house. Free from the debt that we owe to God. Sin is sin is a debt. Sin creates that debt, right? That's what he means by the first. You have this debt, and you're working, working, working to pay it off. And religion does that, right? Religion is the law, particularly, and religion loves to 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 Satan loves to take the law and pervert it. Paul straightens that out in Romans. He's like, well, it's not really the law that's the problem; it's the sin that's the problem. Okay, but it's but but but. Religion comes along and really loves to just hammer home that that point that I've got this these problems in the world I've got to work to fix them and my you know all of this and it's it's a constant fixation on on that you know what the problem is with with that is it's like you have this thirst but instead of going to pure mountain spring water my wife does to satisfy that you go to the ocean. And you get a big cup, and you drink this water, right? What's the, what's the result? More, more thirst, right? More thirst. The promise is there, but it fails to deliver, and it actually makes the problem worse. Religion actually makes our sin worse, not better. It actually brings it out more. The law does that. Again, Paul makes that point in Romans. Touched a little bit on that in our reading today. Um, but in Christ, the debt is forgiven, and you are free. You owe the debt no more. All right. So, again, to take too long with our review here, but um, he says in verses 37 and 38 now, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, it's a different word than the word son, by the way. That's just lineage. Okay, so now he's referring to their physical lineage. Okay, but notice how masterfully he switches that from the physical lineage to their spiritual lineage. Okay, uh, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen from my father, you, uh, and you do what you have heard from your father. Now, Physically speaking, as far as lineage, my wife this morning in Sunday school opening was talking about some of her lineage. She's got a little French thrown in, you know, lots of English, 
that type of thing. As far as their lineage goes, Jesus is a Jew too. He is also a descendant of Abraham, just like they are, okay? And by the way, not just through Ishmael, but through the covenant line, right? Uh, God, that's why often the Old Testament says, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They'll just leave it with God of Abraham, right? It's, it's, the whole, it's the whole covenant line. It's that promise, that line of promise through Isaac and Jacob. And they trusted in that. And Jesus could easily pick up on that and say, yeah, you know, you guys are you guys are descendants of Abraham. And guess what? So am I. But he doesn't do that. He says, "Yeah, I, I know, I know your physical lineage, but let's set that let's set that issue aside. I mean, that's what you guys are trusting in in this system you have. But let's talk about what really matters. I have a father, and you have a father, and they're not the same. When it comes to spiritual things, right? To this, to the spiritual." My word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen from my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. That's an important phrase because as we get into this a little bit later on, he's going to say, which of you convicts me of sin? And uh, I didn't really fully understand that until I go back and rereading this again. Okay, so here's what he's saying. The evidence of the origin of what you believe is found in its fruit. Okay, because whatever whatever you really truly believe and the truth of it, how close it is to the truth or how far it is from the truth, will work itself out in your behavior and in your desires, and, and then your desires drive what you do and what you say. Okay, and that's really what he says. What the idea here of Father is, he's not saying to them, you know, Satan is your actual physical spawn. What he's saying is father is the point of origin, right? The one who has given you this system that you trust in. What let's take let's take a look at the fruit of what you are doing. And what he's going to say is you guys seek to kill me. You're murderers. And you lie. Just like your father. You see that? So the invisible origin in the spiritual world is seen like the same question I ask all the time, right? Very, very important questions. So what's the answer? By its effects, right? Is gravity real? Yeah. How do you know? You ever seen it? If we didn't have it, we would be standing on the on the ground. Pretty predictable, right? Yeah, that's right. You would be sitting in the chair. You all be bouncing around the room. <laughs> Time is invisible. You can't uh, observe it, even with with. Um, you say, "Well, I got a clock." It's it's measuring the effects of time, right? The clock is, um, but you don't see time itself. You see its effect in the mirror. The Bible touches on a lot of invisible realities. It claims that there's a God, for example. The effect then is the universe, right? And we can deduce back from seeing the incredible order and, and symmetry and beauty around us in the universe uh, that there is a God uh, from the effect. We don't see God directly uh, unless he reveals himself, right? Same thing. So that principle is at work here too, because what Jesus is saying is, all right, you guys say you guys say that your origin is in God, right? In Abraham, the covenant, and and you're you're right in line with with what Abraham was doing, and and the and the prophets and Moses and all of that. Remember, we looked at chapter five where he referred to Moses. Moses and Abraham were their two big guys, right? They looked up to them. They're poster boys, and and we're right in line with them. Okay, well, let's look at the effect of that. See. You say that's true. We can't really see that. It's invisible. But let's see what its effect is. That's what Jesus is doing here. All right? Very important as we see that principle unfold. Okay? So that is, um, that's point one in our outline, verses 37 38. Let's go quickly in our review to 30, or point two. Jesus corrects their trust in physical origins in Abraham. That's where we were last time. They answered, verse 39, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were going, if you were, sorry, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. See that? All right, so you claim 
that you are in line, not only physically now, but they're picking up on this. Okay, we got it. You know, we're, spiritually speaking, we're in line with Abraham. We're, we're following right along. You know, when all the other people were saying, worshiping their false gods, Abraham was following the true God, right? And we're, we're in the same line. So he's saying, okay, if that were true, we would see that in the effect of what you do. You would be like Abraham. What, what, what is Abraham commended for in Scripture? We talked about this last time. For being a man of faith, right? And, and so we would, we would see particularly his faith. Now his faith, again, faith is invisible, right? That's what James means when he says, you say you have faith, but I'll what? I'll show you my faith out by what I do, right? It's not that what I do creates the faith. It's that by faith creates what I do. See, the invisible faith will, will be seen in its effect. Okay? Whatever you have faith in, it will be seen in its effect. What you say, what you do. You say you're Abraham's children. Um, if you were Abraham's children, you'd do the works Abraham did. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Now watch this. This is not what Abraham did. Ah, you claim that you walk in the same faith legacy of Abraham, and yet the fruit of your life is something very different, right? You're seeking to kill me, and John has made a point of that throughout the gospel since chapter 5. Many, actually, maybe as much as two years earlier, I can't be dogmatic about the exact timeline, but it's at least a year, year and a half, maybe two years earlier, where they set in motion in their hearts to, to zero in on killing him. So they've been wanting to do this for some time. And it's not, it's, this desire has, initially it was kind of, kind of secret, but more and more it's bubbling over. And more and more people are aware of the fact that these Jewish leaders want to capture him and kill him. Okay? And so Jesus is simply saying, look, you're not, your, your works... The effect of what you say is there is very different than what it should be if what you claim is true. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Verse 41, you are going, you are doing the works your father did. Oh, okay. Well, you claim your origin is, is Abraham, that you're that you're like him. Okay. But really, your works say otherwise. So let's take a look at the effect. And let's reason back from what we see you guys doing back to where its real origin is. That's what he's doing. Okay? But they're still argumentative about it. So verse 41 comes along. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, and this, um, let me see here. I think I may have gotten the, the notes a little mixed up there. It's supposed to be on point three there. It's supposed to say 41B, not 42B, okay? 41B, they said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality or fornication, some translations say, right? We have one father, even God. A lot of commentators say, and, and they're probably right, and I used to think this too, but I think this is a secondary point in the text, okay? But you probably have heard this, so I'm going to address it that they're giving a veiled insult here to Jesus's rumored uh, bastardization, okay? That he did not have a legitimate father, that his mother was, you know, some questionable origins here, right? And there's definitely some evidence in their writings about that, and <clears throat> that may have been a, a veiled insult here. That's There's no doubt. But I think it really kind of uh, misses the point um, even though this translation says sexual immorality, um, it, it's, it's, it's uh, the idea of, of, I think, more because they're, they've, they've gone past the physical lineage thing, and they're now in line with what Jesus is saying in terms of spiritual origins. And, and there's definitely a lot of cross um, metaphor, you might say, in the Old Testament of Israel's immorality or adultery, spiritual adultery by worshiping other gods, right? And so I don't want to make a huge point about this, but their point really is, is that you may be of questionable origins, okay, physically and spiritually, 
but we know where we're from, right? Look how they upped the ante. First it was Abraham, and now it's what? We have one father, even God. Our system is in line with God. We are pleasing God. We, we have our origins from him. And this is point three on our outline. So Jesus corrects their trust in spiritual origins in God, but are in fact in Satan. Okay, so let's look at that. This starts then in verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, same construction he had a second ago. If Abraham, if you were children of Abraham, then this would happen, right? Same idea here. But now conversation is turned toward, is up the ante toward God, okay? So again, same invisible reality. Okay, if your origin, uh, the origin of your faith and your system was God, here's what we would expect to find, okay? If God were your father, what would the result be? What does it say there? You would love me. Rock came from God, and I am here. Not only is the things he's speaking, my word, remember he's already told him several times, he goes, say again, my words have no place in you. It's not, fi it's not finding ground with you. It's not, it's not gaining traction with you. You don't accord with, can I say that that's still true, right? The people whom God has called and are being saved accord with the word of God. You know what that's like? When you hear the word of God in your spirit, it's just like, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's right. I couldn't, I couldn't put it in the right words, but that's it right there, right? That's the Spirit of God working in you, okay? But he's saying, it's not gaining traction with you. And not only my words, but him himself, right? If you, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. Lots of people like to have, to claim a relationship with God, right? Everybody's fine. With God, I have, a, I have a friend, I talked to him this past week again, finally got back to him, um, who is not a believer, although he he has a church background, but he's he's got so he's got some some of some of um, some reincarnation stuff mixed in with his church background, his Christian background. And he's he's a nice guy. Um, you know, we have conversations and such, but I'm just like, okay. Um, lots of people are, and he, he was telling me this past week, his conversation, lots of people are like him today in that they are, they're fine with believing in something bigger. That's, you know, not, for example, you hear this phrase, nothing happens by chance, accident, chance, right? Okay, lots of people believe that. Uh, I think the, there's, there's somebody looking out. For me, right? The universe is leading me. This is what he effectively was saying to me. Uh, at some, in, in, in some of his phrases, it was, you know, oh, I've just gotten to the place where I'm surrendering to what God is has next for me, right? He he believes that that he's done in Asheville and he, he wants to have this singing operatic singing career and it's not really taken off here. And so now he wants to. He's looking elsewhere and he's he's like, you know, I keep hearing about Raleigh and and Gosman. And then, and then a couple sentences later, the universe is directing me toward Raleigh. And I'm thinking to myself, well, to God or the universe? I mean, you know, you hear that commonly. But you know what? People get really, really either riled up and, and push away or they really embrace when you start talking about Jesus, right? And it's Jesus that seems to be that that dividing, you know, everybody's had it with God, and now I'm on, now I'm on board with God, and I'm just seeing where God opens the next door for me. Mention Jesus Christ and see where the conversation goes, right? Um, this is the same with these guys. Look at what he says. If, if God were your father, you would love me. It's the same today. A lot of people, you know, okay, you, you claim that you've got this, me and God got this thing going on, right? God's directing me, he's directing my steps. How's your love for Jesus come along? 
because that's the real barometer of it. Doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't matter about that invisible reality that you claim to have with God. Let's see the effect of that. And what Jesus is saying here is not only does my word not have a place in you, but you don't have any love for me. Keep going in verse 39 there toward the end. I came out of my own. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Again, how many times, how many times of John have we seen this same principle? Jesus saying, I came not to do my will, but what? The will of the Father. The will of the Father. The will of him who sent me. Right, we saw that in, in Isaiah 53 again this morning, right? It pleased God to bruise him, right? to crush him. It wasn't that the Father got his kicks off of that. What it means is that God's, God the Father's righteous standard was satisfied in Jesus. That's what it means. Okay? And Jesus is simply saying again, I came not of my own accord, but him who sent me. Does that mean Jesus, <clears throat> the Father, had never said, Son, I want you to go do this thing for me, that Jesus would, or that Jesus was reluctant or dragging his feet to come? No. 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 Scripture teaches us that he loved us, right? He gave himself up for us. So it's not only does the Father love you in Christ, but Jesus himself did this out of love for you. And we love to emphasize that. And it is speak on a phrase this way. That was really good. Jesus died as much for God as for you. Yeah. Think about it. And that's deep. That's that sometimes. Salvation really is more about the glory of God. We, we're huge beneficiaries of that, right? But really, it's more about the love that the Father has for the Son and the Son for the Father, and the Son shows that love by obeying the Father, even to the point of taking on our sin and the wrath of God. Wow, that is an amazing thought. Go back to John 6 again and learn all about all that the Father has given you will come to me, right? If you're a believer this morning, you are a love gift of the Father to Jesus. Here, Son, let me show you how much I love you. I'm going to give you light. I'm going to give you iron. I'm going to give you glory. You're a love gift. Of God the Father to the Son. Wow. Amazing. All right, let's roll on. <clears throat> if God were your Father, you would love me, for I came. Uh, I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Oh man, I can't tell you. Uh, you know, we've, we've been wrestling with our girls who aren't where they need to be with the Lord. And um, I, so many times I want to, in, in my flesh, I want to grab them and I'm like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you see? You know? But then the Lord has been graciously reminding me of where I was many decades ago and where he's brought me. Even, even after, even after granting me repentance for the first time and, and righteousness, that's still a lot that I just, I was like, man. And I look back on that and I'm like, what is wrong? What was wrong with my thinking? Well, you, you grow, right? You, you see more and more and you understand more than you did. And you can thank God for that. And so um, why do you not understand what I say? Why do people reject Christ? Why, why is the word of God seemingly of no effect in the lives of others? Okay, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. He's going to say here, and, and, and John 10 caps off this section that we're in. John 7 through 10 is this one big section, right, that happens against the backdrop of the Feast of Tabernacles. And he's going to, he's going to come back to this idea again in chapter 10, although that this time the illustration he uses is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd my sheep, what? Hear my voice. And what he's going to tell them is, the reason you don't hear me is you're not my sheep. You follow me. Sheep have no natural defense. They need a shepherd. But we, oh, Isaiah 53, right? All we like sheep are born in this world doing our own thing. We have no natural defense spiritually. We need a shepherd. And if you, if you are unwilling to surrender and submit to that, you're on your own.
you're going to be torn apart by the rules of deception. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear my word. Verse 44, here it comes. You are of your father, the devil. Ouch. Let that sink in. Where did they think they were from? We're following Abraham. Oh, no, we're following God. Nope. You are of your father, the devil. The light is now on full blast. Okay, there, can you feel the heat of that? I can still feel the heat coming out of the page <laughs> right now. Can you feel feel that? I mean, imagine that you're standing, uh, and we're going to talk about Matthew seven. Jesus says there at the Sermon on the Mount, that same heat is going to be felt by a lot of Christians in a future time, where they come before the throne, they say, "Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons?" And, those were all the marks of a disciple when Jesus was giving that. And today we <clears throat> we could say, didn't I go to church? Didn't I even preach a Sunday sermon? Didn't I didn't I sing in the choir? Didn't I serve? You know, I will tell them plainly what I never knew you. I never had an experiential relationship with you. I never we never we never made it right. We never you never took the offer of peace and reconciliation in my blood while it was offered. You said you did. Just like these guys, right? You say I'm a Christian. Well, let's look at the fruit of your life. I never knew you. Depart from me, you what? Evildoers. Those who did evil. The results did not match the profession. Wow. This isn't the only time he's going to say that. You are of him, your father. Okay. And your will is to do your father's desire. Ooh. Can I talk? Can we talk about that for a second? In the conversation with my girls, they they asked me, and I'm getting ready to write them a letter. You can pray about that. Um, what was my experience in coming to Christ? Because you know? that's what I've told them many times. You know, I played church a long time. I grew up in church, and uh, was even. Uh, um, I won't get into all this. You know, I, I resume like Paul, right? You know, anyone has the right to brag? I have more. You know. I, but all of those things that I used to trust in, I now consider loss that I may gain Christ, right? And what is it that made that change? What, did it, what was it like? What was the effect? One of the biggest changes that I remember is a change in desires. Things that I could have cared less about before now suddenly became very important. And it wasn't like the old desires just disappeared. It's, it's that they, they fade away through time. And the new desires grow more and more, right? If you feed it, it will. Okay? And, and, and so don't miss that word, the desires. Your will is to do your father's desires. That's the key to understanding this whole thing of the father and everything. You, you guys claim that Abraham was your father and then God's your father, but you don't, you're not doing what they did, you know, because your desires are very different. And your desires, again, if I desire, I may have a desire for something for lunch. And if I never express that, you'll never know what that desire is. It's another one of those invisible things, right? But as soon as I say, I'm really looking forward to big on dad. I was going to say ribeye. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was talking about ribeyes or pizza, one of these. Okay. As soon as I. Well, one will do. Didn't mean to get us off on the rabbit trail, but uh, as soon as I say that, now, now you now the invisible desire is known, right? How do we how do we know what these guys desire? Because they've been pushing for it the whole time, right? They just what's their desire? Murder. How do we know? Because they've been pursuing that from chapter five several years ago. Desires are everything. Listen. Check your own desires. If you claim to have a relationship with God, well, what about your words and, and, and what about your actions? Back that up. Where, where's your priority? If we, if we open up your checkbook and we look at where you really spend your money, Dad and I were talking about this morning, it doesn't seem to matter how much money you have or don't have. You find the money for what you really want. That's true. You find it somewhere. Okay. So your money speaks a lot about your desires. Again, that's what we can see. That's the effect. 
and we can reason back to the invisible desires behind it. So, okay. So when he speaks lies, um, so this, so then he's going to go on to talk about this. Um, you're the father of the devil is, and you do his desires, right? Well, what are his desires? Two things. Okay. So this is the middle of verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Some translations, I like this better, his own nature. nature. For he is a father, he is a liar and the father of lies. Those who are following the devil love lies. Carte blanche. Okay. It's just a fact. Just a fact. Um, do we have a lot of lies and deception in our culture? <laughs> yes, we do. Fake news. news. What is that? It's another way of, it's a, what we call a euphemism, right? Euphemism for lying. <laughs> lying through the media. <laughs> and by the way, when I say that, I, I don't just say that, you know, Conservatives like to use that talking about CNN or something. Okay, there's a lot of fake news on, on all sides. Okay, there's a lot of deception. There's a lot, of, you know. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, God gun country. Okay, that's the fruit of your life, right? Again, right? That's the fruit of your life. Have you repented of your sin? It doesn't matter what your political side of the aisle is. Maybe, maybe you're an independent. Whatever. Okay. The, the issue is not what party am I in. The issue is 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 my relationship to Christ? Have I surrendered to that? Have I repented of my sin? And, you know, and, and the fruit will come out, right? In the desires. And deception is a huge, huge part of that. So when we look at our culture today and we see tons of, it's, it's, it's almost like if a politician isn't lying, what? <laughs> she told the truth? It's like we're shocked. This is a scandal. You know, it's like we, we just built into the system that, you know, politicians are going to lie, right? Just like lawyers. Yeah, politicians are lawyers. See? Right. So we, we have this, we have this, but so when you hear lies like that, reason back from what you see, what Jesus says here, what's the origin? The devil. No. It's no wonder that he's called the God of this world, sometimes the spirit of the age. Okay, and when we see pervasive lying and deception in our culture, we know its origin. Okay, so then there's murder as well in that, and and uh, and he's dealing he's dealing with this, and we're we're pretty much out of time. Okay, but look at verse 45, 46 here. But I, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Again, they can't, they can't take on truth because they're so steeped in lies. I, uh, I'm just amazed at, at how easily, you know, the more lies you believe, the easier it becomes to believe more additional lies. It's, it's almost like you, you develop an appetite for lying. And not only do you, are you lied to, but you lie yourself repeatedly. And you, and you find ways of, of excusing yourself, which is a form of lying, okay? And, and uh, wishing murder, by the way. Hatred of other people. We have a lot of hatred in our culture for, for people. Not only is there a lot of deception, there's a lot of hate. Jesus said about, what did he say about hate? That's murder in the heart. Okay? Because murder comes from that desire. Even if it's never acted upon, it's still the same thing. It's the seeds of murder. You do your father's desires. I tell you the truth. You do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? What Jesus is saying is, we've looked at the fruit of your life, and we see murder and hate, and we see um, deception and lies. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Look at the fruit of my own life, is what Jesus is saying. Okay? Look at the fruit of my life. Which of you convicts me of sin? Even Pilate, when he was standing before him, says, I find nothing wrong with this man. Right? You kill him. Keep trying to 
push it off. No. But he was a coward. He, he put his own career ahead of justice and put him up to be crucified. But I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? In other words, the truthfulness of my words can be seen in my actions. You can't convict me of sin. Doesn't it make sense that you might, might, might possibly think that what I'm saying could possibly be true? <laughs> Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is you are not of God. He answers his own question here in the text. Just like he will in chapter 10 when he says, my sheep hear my voice. They know me. I love that, right? I call them by name. He knows you. He loves you. If you're his own, you hear his voice. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, this is heavy stuff. It's really heavy. We can we can feel the heat through these pages. I just pray because you know all hearts that none of us is deceived by that same deception. And I put myself in that boat. Father, I've wrestled with this many years. That, was, that passage in Matthew 7 was one of the, the things that you really rattled my chain with years ago when you confronted me about the hypocrisy that I didn't even know was there. I thought I was following you, and when you pulled the curtain aside and you showed me that it was really the devil and the flesh and, and, and a, a a form of Christianity, a form of godliness that was really not of you, it's devastating. It's like the Apostle Paul took three days just to get up off his face and even have a desire to eat anything because it's so devastating. We see that this whole time we've been following the devil. I pray that each of us will not look out in the world around us and say, yeah, that's full of hate and deception, but look at our own lives. How many times do we lie and we don't think a thing about it? We don't repent of it. How many times have we harbored hate in our, in our hearts and, and justified it with, well, that person deserves it because of this, that, and the other? No, these are sins. And if we habitually follow this, we are not free. We are slaves of it. And so help us to come search our hearts today even and to come to you in truth and to surrender and repent, stop making excuses, and to come to you and to make peace before the judgment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.